Good to see you. Hey, it is uh, the middle of July, and it's our last Sunday in the book of James. Uh, But before we get to James, uh, I'm going to surprise somebody and ask them to come up and join me on stage. Who wants to come? No, I'm just kidding. I actually have somebody in mind. Robin, would you come up and join me here for a second? Everybody get a hand to Robin. Don't worry, Darren knows what it feels like. Come on up. Try to get this. Hey, listen, the reason I brought you up, and so I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but you're here now. So you made it. Um, Robin, you're, you're heading over to Belgium in a few weeks, right? To yes. visit a couple of our missionaries, Willie and Sutops. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know that this is something, uh, Robin just said, hey, I really want to go. And uh, she planned the trip. She's planned to pay for the whole trip, go do all of it herself. And when we found out about it, that she's going to see some of our missionaries, we said, hey, uh, maybe there's something we can do as a church and that maybe you would like to know about this so that maybe you could uh, help Robin in some of that cost or send a gift along for the tops. And would that be okay? (laughs) I'm sorry. We love you, and, and we're excited for you to go. And um, so if people would like to, you'd plan to take some kind of a gift for them to help them out. And uh, I hope you're not really mad at me right now, um, or you won't be tomorrow. Um, but, but we do. We love you, and we talked about it as a board. We just want to support you and bring you up and say, um, hey, we wanted to invite all of you to, to help and uh, to give. because And it, it ties into the message this morning, too. We're a church. We do things together, Right. And as a family, and uh, so Willie and Sue are actually members of our church. They're part of our family and in Belgium, and we want to encourage them. We want to encourage you, and uh, um, it's just really cool. I know you didn't really want any accolades for going or for doing any of this, but the only reason we brought you up is so that people would know about it and they could partner with you and encourage you. you. You're welcome. So I, I won't make you talk. It's okay. But um, maybe go find Robin after the service or over these next couple of weeks. When are you leaving, though? Because I don't know that off the top of my head. August 11th through the 26th. Okay. August. In August. So we got about a month, maybe about three weeks or so. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> That's all right. We love you. Thank you. Amen? All right. So if you want to participate in that way, there's a way you can, can give towards missions and be involved. Um, did you know, too, we also have a team going to India in a few months. And uh, we're leaving on October 30th. We come back November 10th. There's six of us from our church going. We're partnering with another church, uh, my home church, actually, in Iowa. When we get there, we'll see them all there. There's some expense for that trip, too. So if you'd like to give and help with that trip for the people who are going um, I know they'd appreciate it, and uh, we're, our plan is to keep going back every couple of years, and we're going to go visit the orphanage that you so generously funded, the orphans that you've uh, funded and cared for for over a decade now. Uh, just the amount of resources we've poured in to those boys is pretty cool. And did you know, did some research this week, that over half, somebody says, well, why are we so focused on India? Well, it's, it's an open door that God provided, and so when God opens a door, you walk through it. Uh, but also, we've, I mean, strategically, did you know over half of the unreached people groups in the world are in India? Pretty amazing, huh? So if we want Jesus to come back soon, we need to go reach those people. 
And uh, I'm hoping for that. And so anyway, we're going to encourage people there to see our orphanage, to uh, bring back a report of what the Lord's doing. So if you want to partner in that too, there's another way that you can partner in missions in our church. But hey, today we are in the book of James and we actually wrap up the book of James today. Do you know that? It's been 13 weeks. Today is week number 13. We could have actually originally thought about maybe stretching it into 20 and then uh, ended up keeping it at about 13 and we're wrapping up today. Um, But for the last 13 weeks, we've been studying the book of James and it's written by Jesus' little brother, his half brother, James. Same mom. Uh, Obviously, Jesus didn't have a biological dad, uh, but his adopted daddy, Joseph, would have been James' uh, biological dad. And for his entire letter, if you've been with us for any of this time, James has been calling us to action. He's, he's been saying over and over and over that we need to put our faith in motion. And so I thought it, it might be good for us just to do a little review and see where we've been before we wrap up this book. Um, he's, as, as we get into James uh, and we start it, we started just with verse 1 with an introduction and how James is all about us seeking wisdom from above versus wisdom from below and putting our faith into motion. Um, see, for James to have faith and no works, it means you probably really don't have faith at all. And it's not just for James. That's really what the Bible teaches. If you, have, you say you have faith, but you don't have any works, James just articulates it really well. Uh, then what exactly do you have other than just some good thoughts in your mind? In, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 18, G, James taught us how to face trials. Remember, he was writing and is writing uh, to persecuted Christians. Uh, A trial, we said, is a painful circumstance that's allowed by God to shape our conduct and our character. And James encouraged us to embrace our trials and hold fast to Jesus so that our conduct and character is made to be more like Christ. Remember this? He told us, he said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's curious how he brought that theme back to us again last week, wasn't it? To remain steadfast in our suffering. Well, later in chapter 1, he taught us to be quick and doubly slow, we said. Quick to listen, especially to God's word, and slow to speak. Know when to speak, know when to open your mouth and when not to. Anybody else struggle with that or just me? And and to be slow to get angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, James tells us in 119. Because he says that that anger, it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Well, we get to chapter 2 and he starts talking about the fact that we shouldn't play favorites. Christians shouldn't show favoritism, Uh, whether rich or poor, young or old, whatever their mental ability, smart or stupid, it doesn't matter. Everyone is, is valuable in God's sight. Everyone bears his image and has value, worth, and dignity. And we should show no favorites to anyone. You know why? Because God himself doesn't show favorites. He shows no partiality in saving you and in saving me. His offer of salvation is free to anyone. 
And so we should treat people in the same way. In fact, he tells us not to judge one another, but to show mercy. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, then you get farther into chapter 2, and he told us that faith that isn't shown isn't really known. In other words, if your faith can't be shown in your works, I don't know if you really have true saving faith. This is one of James' core arguments. Live out your faith. And that true faith results in good works. See, if the extent of your Christian life is all talk and no action, you're playing a game. You're playing a game. You you might come to church every week and sing the songs and go through the motions, but if there's been zero change in your life, James says, over the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, you haven't grown kinder and more gentle. You've gotten more grumpy and more bitter And more crotchety. You haven't poured your heart and your experience into younger generations. You've just criticized them. Listen, if your faith hasn't changed you over time, has it really saved you? If you're not more like Jesus today than when you were first saved, were you really saved? I don't say that to criticize you. I say that to warn you. That's why James tells it to us. Examine your life. Figure it out. Because faith that isn't shown uh, isn't really known. Do you really have faith? See, he says faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. And then he goes on in chapter 3, and uh, he doesn't let up. Did you notice that about James? As we kind of review where we've been this summer. He just keeps bringing the hammer. It's like, James, mercy, man, mercy. You know, you ever play that, you ever wrestle with your dad and you're little and he puts you in a headlock and you have to cry mercy for him to let you out? Just my dad. That, that's why I feel with James when I'm reading this book. It's just, man, let up. But then you get to chapter three and he says that even though your tongue is small, it yields incredible power. See, he continues on this issue of living out our faith. This time he turns his attention to our tongues. Do the words that come out of your mouth reflect a heart that has been changed by Christ? That's the question. Now, we all stumble in our speech. James says there's nobody who can keep, anybody who can keep their tongue perfectly under control is a perfect man. And I only know of one. His name is Jesus. We all struggle in this, but are you growing in it? See, when you become a Christian, you're a new creation. And and Jesus told us that from the overflow of that new heart, your mouth speaks. And from whatever's in your heart, that's what comes out of your mouth. So what comes out of your mouth? Are you known for your constant sarcasm? Are you known for unending gossip? Do you always want to have and have to have the last word? Are you argumentative or are you quick to listen? Do you sing God's praises on Sunday, but then on Wednesday with your small group, just complain about everything and criticize everyone? You're like, Josh, why are you so harsh? I'm listening. I'm just reviewing what James said. And and your tongue is going to reveal your heart. So what are the words that come out of your mouth? Not your neighbor's, yours, mine. See, James would have some serious concerns about your heart. He says, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. 
He goes on in verse 9, he says, uh, With it we bless our Lord and Father. With it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? So can a Christian who's really been saved, can their mouth continue to just be critical and vile of everyone, never changing? Always sarcastic, always critical, always... Examine your heart, James would tell us. I told you, he doesn't doesn't lay off. At the end of chapter 13, then in chapter 3, excuse me, in verse 13 through 18, he talks about the crux of his whole argument. He wants us to choose wisdom from above, not earthly wisdom. Are you seeking godly wisdom, wisdom from above? We talked about how you get it. You get it through prayer. You get it through reading his word. Uh, Do you pray regularly? Not like for hours on end, but just regularly. Are you always praying regularly in a continual way? I don't care how long you pray, but are you always in contact with the Lord? Are you always in his word? I don't care how much you read, but are you in his book? Are you hearing from him? That's how you get wisdom from above. Then then in chapter 4, James really brings the hammer down, and he says, quit cheating on God. He, He calls us an adulterous people when we don't live with godly wisdom. And he calls us to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to him, to know our place. In the the middle of chapter 4, he tells us to judge rightly, not to never judge. He doesn't say that Christians should never judge. He says, you shouldn't be judgmental. Boy, he just keeps coming after our attitudes, doesn't he? Where's your heart? If you're getting really angry with me right now, um, I'm just telling you what James said. It's misdirected. See, he says, don't speak evil against one another, brothers. He doesn't say we should never judge. He says, don't be judgmental. Uh, then Pastor Kirk uh, preached a strong message from chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, challenging us not to live as Christian atheists. In other words, just Christians in name only. Uh, could, uh, here's what I wonder. You know, uh, you know, sometimes we just make plans without any of God's input into it. We, we never pray. We just go, this is what I want. This is what I think. So that's what I'm choosing. But we never pray about it. Well, that's foolishness. I mean, uh, to live like that without ever seeking God's input would be to live like someone who says there is no God, just totally on your own. James tells us that when you do that, you boast in arrogance and that boasting is evil. Chapter 5, uh, he, he, he kept going deeper towards our heart and talked about our wealth. He, he dared to bring up money. And how do you use your wealth? See, God doesn't care, we said, about your net worth, whether you're rich or poor. He cares about what you do with it. Do you use it to honor him? James asked us. Randy Alcorn has a fantastic saying that I used a couple weeks ago that you can't take your wealth with you, but you can send it on ahead by investing in eternal things. And then finally, last week, James backed off a little bit and talked to us about suffering and how when we're suffering, we should be patient and remain steadfast and trust the Lord and pray. Well, today, there you go. You just got your overview of the whole book of James if you haven't been here in a while. 
Today, James is going to turn his attention from like right at you and right at me and our own, your own, and my own faith and how we ought to live it out individually. But now he's saying, okay, he's going to turn your eyes to everyone else and say, how are you helping everyone else live it out? How are you investing in? How are you going after other people to help them fulfill some of these things that he's just talked about? It's really a fitting conclusion to his book. He comes right after each of us saying, listen, put your faith in motion. And then at the end, he says, and by the way, when you see someone else who's struggling, who's wandered from the truth, go after them. Go after them and bring them back and save them from death. Now he turns our eyes towards us as a community. So with that long introduction, let me pray. And then we're going to look at the last two verses of the book of James. Sound good? Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, and thank you for your grace to us through him. Um, Lord, these these words are hard uh, to teach through this series because uh, so many of them are pointed right at my heart, and they're things I struggle with. And even in reviewing them, I'm reminded of ways that, uh, that I still struggle and still fail. Lord, today as we get to the end of the book, uh, first we thank you for the wounds that you've, you've placed in our hearts just to, uh, to draw us closer to you, to change us. I pray for each one here, Lord, that you'd give us a heart now um, for one another. Not just a selfish one for our own desires and our own wants, but for the good of your church, of your community, of the salvation of other people. Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, as I teach, you would even teach me and teach through me, that that my words would be your words. I pray against the enemy, uh, Lord, he would take even the things I've already said and take them and uh, cause them to be twisted in people's minds. And rather, Holy Spirit, would you work in people's hearts so that their hearts would be softened to receive the truth and to, to be changed, including me. We look forward to a good day in your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. It seems like kind of an abrupt ending, but here's how James ends the book, ends his letter. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And that's the end of the book. That's where it ends, right there. So let's unpack a little bit of how he ends it and why he ends it that way. And, and first off, what I, what I just want to put in your mind as we go through this is that James here, in his last two lines, he, he changes our view from our own faith and our own strengthening and our own living it out uh, to look uh, with a pastor's heart, with a caring heart towards other people in our spheres of influence and say, How can I help them live it out? In other words, James is telling us you need community. You need other people around you to speak into your life, to care for you. You can't do it on your own. And when you try to do it on your own, it's hard. It's incredibly hard, and it's going to fail. See, let's just unpack it. I kind of wrote a sentence again this week that we'll just kind of unpack as the outline of the text. So first off is this. If those in the church wander from the truth, 
If those in the church, James is telling us, wander from the truth. That word wander, see, in in verse uh, 19, when he says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, or in verse 20, uh, when they turn back from their wanderings, that word uh, is, the Greek word is is planeo, the word we get the word planet from. Like just physically wandering out, (laughs) moving around, uh, going somewhere else. Wandering. And what's curious to me is he says, uh, uh, wandering, uh, he doesn't really define it, but it can be in so many different ways. But in in this case, when he's talking about wandering from the truth, for James, um, it's not just a wandering intellectually, it's a wandering uh, in my actions. Because everything for him, faith, uh, true faith is lived out. So it's not just in my head and in my heart. It's if I'm wandering, evidentially, in the way that I live my life, based on all these things he's already talked about. If I'm wandering from the truth in that way. You know, there's, there's ways. Did you notice he says those in the church who wander? Because look what he says. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders. So he's talking here about people who are in the church. You know what that means? That means uh, you could wander this week. That means I could wander this week. I could wander from the truth. I could turn away from it and go my own way. James, James seems to imply that that's going to happen with some people. They're going to wander from the truth. And if they do, he's going to tell us to go after them. But, but, but before we even get there... Realize this could be you. And the truth is, there's any of us can wander in big ways and in small ways. What are some ways that we can wander? I think there's two primary ones. One is in doctrine or belief. You know, we, um, we get false doctrine. We start to, to believe things that aren't true. Or we just say, I just don't believe it at all anymore. And I turn and walk away. That's one type of wandering, just that intellectual. And that's, that's an important one to avoid, to know the truth, to know good doctrine. But as I said already, James' big concern here isn't just doctrine. It's the second way we can wander, which is in behavior. Galatians 2, Paul writes, he says, When I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He had this idea that that your faith is is tied to your conduct. And you can wander in a sinful way in your conduct. That might be big ways. It might be small ways. It might be persistent sin, which which is curious, though, is these two things are so related. Because when I wander in my behavior and I wander from the Lord uh, in the way I treat people, in, in, in sin, whatever else, often that tends to affect someone's theology. Either they look back at their theology and they say, well, I don't know if I believe that anymore because that affects, I can't do this anymore <laughs> if I really believe that. Or they, they twist that to make it fit with the way they want to live. You know what I'm saying? And they, they twist the truth and, and your behavior can affect that. Now, often when we think of wandering, too, we think of somebody who does something. I mean, the easy example is somebody who just sins in a really big way. They've totally abandoned the faith. They've turned to a lifestyle that that isn't in accord with Scripture. They want nothing to do with the church anymore. And they're clearly wandering, even though way back when, supposedly they professed faith in Jesus Christ. 
But I think there's another way we can wander that isn't so obvious. Sometimes a, th- a, th- a way I think we wander isn't just morally, morally in that way, but it's um, in terms of grace. We can wander from grace toward legalism. See, if you wander this way, you're like, oh yeah, clearly he's, he's messed up. Somebody go get him. But sometimes we can wander the other way. And we can wander towards more and more legalism. This is what the Pharisees did. The, the Pharisees kept building bigger fences around what God's word said and making more rules and, and holding greater burdens on everyone else. Obey this, obey this, obey this to be right with God. And Jesus comes in and he's like, dude, what are you doing way over there? My grace is like, right, like there's so much grace for you. Why don't you come back and just live in my grace? See, we can wander towards legalism as well, can't we? And if you really want a book just to study and maybe examine your own heart in that, if you struggle that direction, I'd recommend a book called Accidental Pharisees by a pastor named Larry Osborne. Accidental Pharisees. To where in our zeal for the Lord, sometimes uh, we go so far that we ignore his grace and we try to bear the whole burden of our sanctification on ourselves. And then we imply those same rules on everyone else, which is exactly what the Pharisees did. It's a quick read. It's a good read. I think it would be helpful for you. Accidental Pharisees by Larry Osborne. But, but, you know, this brings up a bigger question for me as I look at it when James tells us that uh, when those in the church, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, I think really true believers wandering from the truth, does, it raises a big question and a good question. Can I lose my salvation? Can I lose it? What do you think? You know, there's, there's different views on this. And you can support both views from Scripture. And uh, both taken to an extreme can be a little bit dangerous. Because if I go, I can lose my salvation, I get way over here and I'm always in fear and I start to, to pull towards legalism. And doing everything I can to make sure I'm right with the Lord. And I'm really following all these rules and I'm not following Jesus. There's an extreme on the other side, though, too, that says you can never lose it. You can just save. You're saved. Once you're saved, you're always saved. And you can live however you want to live then. And Jesus will save you because you put your faith in him. And so you come way over here into this area of license and you just do whatever you want to do. Well, you need to read Romans chapter 6. <laughs> where, where Paul tells us uh, not to presume upon God's grace. Now, for the record... I believe if you've truly trusted Jesus Christ, the Bible's clear that once you're his, you're always his. You're always his. But you need to live in the healthy tension and the healthy balance that the Bible teaches that, hey, yeah, you've trusted him, but, but uh, what's going on in your life that shows you've really trusted him? Uh, a couple things maybe just to keep in mind. If you want to jot these down, you can. Um, But first off, we're justified by grace alone through faith alone, and it's totally apart from works. We're justified, we're made right with God by grace alone through faith alone. It's not your own working. There's no works involved in your justification. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God by which you are saved. 
Uh, Romans 3.28, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That, that you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you become a Christian, not because of anything you do, but because of everything God has done. Second thing to keep in mind, uh, Romans 8.30, is that those who have been justified will be glorified. This is where this doctrine, some call it eternal security. I think a better idea or better phrase of it is the perseverance of the saints. That those who have been justified, I know I'm getting theological with you here for a second, but those who have trusted Jesus will find themselves in glory, will find themselves glorified. Romans 8.30 addresses this. Paul says, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul speaks about it like it's past tense, like it's a sure thing. If, if you've really trusted Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear. He's going to redeem you. He's going to save you. But <laughs> we like to read those verses because we go, yeah, I know. I trusted Jesus. This is good. Whew, I feel good now. But there's some passages that Paul writes and the things that Jesus says that ought to cause, and things James said, frankly, in this book, that, that ought to cause your stomach to churn a little bit. Uh, here's kind of this third point. No one will be glorified, though, or finally saved who doesn't continue in their faith. Who doesn't continue in the faith. Now, the big key is that somebody says, well, I... So I can lose my salvation? No, I'm just saying, if, if you don't continue in your faith, I don't know that you ever had it. <laughs> I don't know that you've ever trusted Jesus if you don't totally continue with him to the end. Were you really saved? Because Jesus says, I'm not going to lose anyone the Father has given to me. No one can snatch them out of my hand. I think that includes you jumping out. <laughs> if he really has you. See, for, you might jot some of these now. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Uh, now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You've got to persevere. You've got to go to the end, man. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before him. Great, that's awesome. But verse 23 says, if, 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 indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you heard. If, oh, I don't like the if. If you continue, Paul says, you'll be saved. Well, here, here's the good news, though, again, is that God himself will keep his children from totally going away and falling away. You might write down Philippians 1, verse 6. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, who, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. God is faithful. He does the work. He's the one who, who keeps you from falling away. But here's the deal. If you continue to wander in your sin, you continue to turn from him, uh, maybe in just really deliberate sin, maybe in uh, just an incredible attitude that isn't Christ-like at all. 
Yeah, but I trusted Jesus in Iwana. I remember it. It was a big deal. They threw a party for me. Good, they should have. But listen, if it hasn't changed you, has it really saved you? I don't want to get to heaven one day and find out that only half our church made it. Have you really trusted him? What evidence of it is is there in your life? That's what James is getting after. See, you could be the one who wanders next week. You could be the one, for all I know, that's wandering right now. Have you really trusted him? Listen, it's not on you. You don't need to do enough of good stuff to get back to the Lord, but you need to get your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ and let him change you. Let him have you. Surrender. Give it up. Now, as we move on in James, here's this next piece that's really curious to me and amazing how God works, is that God... uh, God is one who keeps us from wandering away. He, he, he always brings us back when we wander, if you've really trusted him. But do you know how he does that oftentimes? He uses his children to keep his other children from falling away. Think about that. He uses his children to keep his other children from falling away. See, James, if we're going to continue our sentence that we wrote, uh, if those in the church wander from the truth... Uh, others should go after them. Others should go after them. Do you know somebody who's wandering from the truth? Maybe they're wandering in gross sin. Maybe they're wandering in extreme legalism and they're so wrapped up in this legalistic lifestyle that they've lost sight of God's grace. (laughs) Go after them. Go after them. And do it in love. See, this is, uh, the Bible calls these the one and others of Scripture. You've heard of those, right? Maybe if you're a new Christian, you haven't. That's okay. But over 30 times in the New Testament, uh, Paul especially talks about uh, love one another, care for one another, rebuke one another, bear with one another, carry one another's burdens. Over 30 times, he tells us how we ought to live together. And the reason is so that, like James says, if somebody wanders, we go after them, we bring them back, and God uses his children to keep his children. And that only happens when we live out these one another's. Someday we'll do a series through the one another's. But, but here's, here's what I would say. Living out your faith, if you really want to live out your faith the way James says and put your faith into motion, you know what? Living out your faith is a community project. It takes everybody to have some skin in the game. It's a community project. We're all involved in each other's sanctification. Our our mission statement, right? We are sent to love others, to go after them in love, and invite them to follow Jesus where? With us. That's our mission. One of our core values is we all need friends. You were designed lacking something. Do you know what it was? Relationship. You need other believers to be in relationship with them. Now, this is tricky in our day and age because there's been two big changes that have happened historically leading up to today. Do you know what they are? I'll bet everyone in this room has both of them. A refrigerator 
and wheels. Well, some of you guys don't yet, but you will. Your parents do, right? Refrigerator and wheels. Refrigeration and transportation have changed the world. And they have changed the way that we live out community. See, if you went back 100, 150 years ago even, maybe not even that far. I probably don't have to go that far, actually. But many churches, if you had a church our size, it was huge. Huge. 200, 300. If you had 500, 600 people in your church, mega church, man. But today there's, there's many churches that size. See, most churches 100 years ago, even less than that, were, were small community neighborhood churches. We had these things called neighborhoods. Where uh, they, they're still around today in some of our small towns, but they're disappearing quickly. And you get to the city, they're gone, man. Where, uh, you know, you need an egg for the cookies, you go knock on the neighbor's door and maybe they have an egg. Now, that still happens around here, but that doesn't happen everywhere. And it's happening less and less here. Because with refrigeration, guess what? I don't need a fresh egg. I can keep it in the refrigerator for two weeks. And it'll be fine. I can get it today, and I, even if I'm not baking, for two to three weeks. And my food lasts longer, so it, it keeps us from interacting with one another. And then transportation. I, don't, I, I can go a lot farther than I ever could before. You can get in your car and you can be across the state in an afternoon. Right? Yeah, yeah, try that 150 years ago. Go hang out with some of your Amish neighbors and try that this afternoon. It it just doesn't, there wasn't transportation to do that, right? You you were a homebody. (laughs) And and everything was communal in our communities and in our our towns and our neighborhoods. And now you can add a third thing in there, uh, these little uh, glowing rectangles that we keep in our pockets. And now community is disappearing even faster than ever. Uh, I've got about 10 notifications just while I'm preaching. But because of those things, we've lost sense of what community really is. And the Bible over and over talks about these one another's that we need to live in relationship with one another, care for one another, love one another, bear with one another. James is telling us here to go after one another and bring one another back when we stray. But our lifestyles today don't make that very possible unless you get yourself into a small group. That's why, do you, do you wonder why we got rid of so many programs in our church? Is because as, as community, as culture has changed, we've begun to think of church as simply a program and something I go to, not who we are. And so to try to get that out of our heads and help us realize, no, church is about who we are. We're trying to force you into community by saying, hey, if you really want to get plugged in, you're going to have to get into a small group. And if you don't, you're going to be like, dude, this church doesn't do anything. What's going on? Why don't they have Sunday school? Why don't they have this? Why don't they have that? Get in a small group. Now, that being said, there's a lot of neat things happening this fall in our ministries. Some new women's ministry that's happening. That's going to be pretty sweet. New men's ministry. Um, uh, Doctrine Wednesdays will be back. We have them all scheduled all the way throughout the year. In a couple weeks, you're going to see the whole calendar. There's a ton of cool stuff happening. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, Pastor Kirk has come in and and helped. uh, there's, There's somebody who can keep those plates spinning now, which is a great thing. And we're thankful for him. So a lot, of, a lot of great stuff is going to be happening. But listen, the core of what we want to do and what we're going to be, you, you've got to gather in a small group somewhere. You've got to have two, three, four other families that, that know you. Because guess what? I, 
I can't know all of you. Neither can Kirk, neither can Dan, neither can all our elders. If everybody shows up, today's kind of low attendance, but if everybody shows up, there's about 400 of us. If everybody shows up in the nursery, they don't fit. By the way, isn't that, isn't that cool? Isn't that a great thing? There's so many names on the little nursery board, they don't all fit on the board anymore. So if everybody showed up with their kids, they wouldn't fit literally in the nursery. How cool is that? Anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm going off topic here. But get in a small group. That's all I wanted to say. So James tells us if somebody wanders, we should go after them. But the, the, the big thing, you can't be gone after if you aren't known. That's, that's bring it back home. Nobody's going to go after you if nobody knows you. Get connected. Get connected. Now, when you go after them, uh, the goal is to bring them back. You're not going after them to read the riot act to them. You're not going after them to say, um, we have some things to talk about. You've really messed up. Now that, hopefully that would come up, but you know what you need to go to them? Hey, I love you. Where you've been? Why, why are you doing that? Why don't you come back? Why are, you, uh, why are you living uh, in this sin? Why are you so consumed with all these rules that, why don't, don't you give yourself a break? Live in the freedom that Jesus offers. To bring them back. See, the goal of going after anyone is restoration. It's to restore them. Not to scold them. Jesus is the one who judges. Last time I read the scripture. We're, we're to show mercy to them and to bring them back. And look what James says when we do, uh, to bring them back and save them from death and destruction. See, the truth is that sin always leads to death. Now, that death might be a dry season in your life. Uh, it might mean uh, poor relationships for you and others. But if you've never trusted Jesus, it, it might actually mean your eternal death. And if you have trusted Jesus, nobody likes to talk about this, but the Bible actually talks about those who, his children, if they keep wandering, uh, eventually the Lord may just take their life so that they would quit rebelling and turning from him. If you don't go after someone, literally their very life may be in danger. Save them from death and destruction. Now, look at the text with me just a little bit here before we wrap up. Uh, or look back at it with me, I should say. Look at verse 20. He says, let him know. So if anybody wanders uh, and, and someone brings him back, let that person know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Who's the subject in that verse? It's whoever brings them back, right? They're the ones who do the action. What does it say? Whoever brings them back will do what? Will save him. Hold on. That doesn't sound very theologically correct, James. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus saves. And James says, I know, he's my big brother, but I'm telling you, if you go and you bring somebody back, you save their soul from death. How does that work? He credits you with saving them, with rescuing them. He credits you with covering over a multitude of their sins, keeping them from sinning more and more and more and more in the future and building up a bigger pile of rocks with which to be condemned and judged. How does that work? 
Well, think of it this way. And this is why community is so important. You need community. You need one another to, to love you, to care for you, to speak into your life. And you need to do the same for others. But think of it like this. Let me ask you this question and then we'll close. Um, who cuts down, what cuts down the tree, the lumberjack or the axe? <laughs> Trick question, right? I mean, the lumberjack cuts down the tree, clearly, right? He supplies the power, he swings. But, but what actually does the work of cutting down the tree? The axe does. I mean, the axe in and of itself has the ability to cut down a tree. You see where I'm going with this? Now, the axe by itself isn't going to cut down a tree. The lumberjack by himself, uh, he could take down a tree, but he chose to use an axe. (laughs) See, the Lord, uh, in my really bad parable here, is the lumberjack, and you and I are the axe. And while he's the one who supplies all the power and all the direction and does all the work of taking down the tree, guess who he likes to use? You and I. He uses an axe, and often a dull one. (laughs) And he swings it, and he cuts down trees. See, you have a role to play, friends, in the sanctification and in the building up and encouragement of others in our church. And quite frankly, in our church growing to see more and more people love Jesus, to, to be sent out to love them and invite them to follow Jesus with you. See, when you do that, you're saving them. Now, that's not taking any glory away from God. It's giving him greater glory that he would use people who are messed up like us to go out and reach people. But but you got to let him use you. You got to get in community. You got to open your mouth when the time comes and, 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 and share your faith with people. You need to go after those who have strayed. You need to return if you yourself have strayed. I keep preaching for a long time about this. But James is saying, if anyone in the church wanders from the truth, go after them. Bring them back. And you'll save them from death. Amen? Let me pray. We're going to take communion. We're going to sing, take our offering, call to morning, and uh, let me pray. Father, uh, it's curious how James wraps up his book that he calls us um, and turns our attention away from our own individual lives towards one another, realizing that we don't have to do all this by ourselves, but we we really actually need other people to help us grow, to help us uh, mature. Father, help us to live in community, to recognize that when somebody wanders from the truth, whether it's in gross sin or if it's in denying your grace and turning towards their own uh, legalistic tendencies, that we'd go after them and turn them back to you and and maybe save them from destruction and a multitude of sins in the future. Lord, I pray for those who hear my voice who've maybe never trusted you, that uh, today you might uh, reach into their lives. Maybe some, even if they've been in the church their entire life. Jesus, would you, Holy Spirit, would you change their heart? Encourage them to repent of their sin, whether that's just gross immorality or whether that's just trying to do everything of their own accord and instead turn to you and rest in your grace. 
Lord, help us to open our mouths and let you use us to do that in people's lives. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.